Hey everyone, welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be speaking with National Park Services Ranger Connie Lau. And today we're going to talk about her journey as a ranger, as well as some national parks, as well as some contributions that Asian Americans made to the National Park Service. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It is January 23rd, and we are still reeling from the news of the mass shooting down in Monterey Park, California. Our hearts go out to the friends and family of those that were killed or injured by this terrible act. And there's just really no words to say that would make it better. But I I do hope that you're able to celebrate with your friends and family this Lunar New Year. Perhaps that's one way that we can thwart what this guy was trying to do. So that's what I'm going to do these next couple weeks. I'm going to spend some time with family and friends, eat some good food, and celebrate the Year of the Rabbit. And I hope you do too. And I really hope that you're able to find a little comfort from this podcast. And I hope that you feel a little bit like part of the Infatuation Podcast family. And so from my family to yours, we wish you a very happy Year of the Rabbit. And as usual, thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Infatuation Podcast. Happy New Year, everyone out there. Gong Hei Fa Choi, Xin Nian Kuai La. Today, we are speaking with National Park Service Ranger, Connie Lau. Welcome to the show, Connie. Thank you. Glad to be here. And where are you currently working this season? I am in the Grand Canyon, uh, South Rim in Arizona. Nice, nice. How many folks are out there with you? You have a whole team? Yeah, this is actually the park with the biggest like staff in one concentrated place. So there's oh. 3,000 people in the village. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah. 3,000? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's not just the National Park Service or the NPS. It's also um, Sentara and then there's Delaware North, all the concessions as well. So. Okay. It's a little city. <laughs> it is. We have a clinic. We have a grocery market. Um, we have a gas station down in Tucson. So we have a whole school. We're the only park with a K-12 school, actually, in the park. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So uh, we're talking to a National Park Service ranger, and sometimes people ask me, how do I find guests and how do I uh, meet them? Uh, With Connie, I saw a post on Facebook on Subtle Asian Traits, and she was posting some of her, uh, what would you call it, memories or highlights or tips or (laughs) I don't know. You posted a bunch of stuff on Subtle Asian Traits just saying, hey, I have a cool job. I'm in Yosemite. I'm on a ranger. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I thought it'd be cool to reach out to you. Uh, we like to talk about our, our guests' origin stories a little bit. Um, what's your family background? Uh, my parents are refugees from the Vietnam War. Um, so they came here in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know my grandparents and my great-grandparents, except for my mom's my mom's mom, is from China. So Canton, southern China. Okay, and then they moved to Vietnam, and then they moved back. They moved out of uh, Vietnam during the war. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, how about you? Where were you born and raised? Uh, I was born in Pasadena, in California. Okay. And I was raised 
in Hong Kong for a little bit, um, and then and then in Southern California for most of my life. Yeah. Okay. So, in when you're a kid, are you an outdoorsy person? Do you like going on hikes? Do you like uh, animals and nature? Uh, yeah. We we definitely went camping as as kids. Um, not as much as you would think, I guess, with my experience right now. But yeah, I always loved the outdoors. Um, I really got more into the outdoors when I was in college. I was a summer camp counselor for a while. Um, but no, I always loved animals and the outdoors and just being outside for sure. <laughs> yeah, fun fact. So you know how they have those little career quizzes when you're like in fifth grade? And you may hear this all the time, right? So I took the career quiz and mine came out park ranger. That was the one that oh, came out for me. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I like the outdoors too. I, I remember when I was in fifth grade doing a overnight trip to Muir Woods because I grew up in San Francisco. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, it really was incredible. It was really cool. And, you know, we just sit in the meadow or sit in a ring of redwood trees and it, it just was cool. And then so when I filled out the survey, I was like, I can see myself doing that. <laughs> but then you, you read the job description and it's like, well, you're alone a lot. You know, a lot of park rangers spend a lot of time alone. Um, or, you know, you have to uh, deal with people who like to break the law, you know, <laughs> I was kind of like, hmm. <laughs> yeah. I can talk about that a little bit for sure in our next segment, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I read that we all have another thing in common, that we were both teachers at one point in our life. Yeah, um, I taught for seven years in oh, Los okay. Angeles. I was a ninth grade history teacher. And um, yeah, I taught ethnic studies. It was really cool. I love the job and I still want to go back eventually. We'll see. Um, but yeah, I, w- I want to say I'm still a teacher now. I still teach about our parks, trial visitors and to our students that are out here. Absolutely. We, I saw a lot of that going on. We'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. So you're teaching and, you know, steady paycheck, summer's off. <laughs> and then... What happened? You, yeah, a light flickered in your eye and you're like, hey, you know what I should do is go to governmentjobs.com and find a job in the park service. What happened? Uh, yeah. So I, I knew I want to be a park ranger at some point. Um, like okay. I said, I started going to the national parks or more outdoors when I was in college. And I went to a lot of ranger programs and I saw what they're doing. It was really cool, right? Just you're teaching and you're educating others and bringing awareness to these really beautiful places. Um but outside, right? And so I knew I wanted to be that one point. So I was always on the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, the pandemic kind of sped up my burnout process. Um, teaching online is definitely not it. Um, mm-hmm. For a year and a half, and that just was really awful. Um, the best thing about being a teacher, as I'm sure you know, is in our interacting with our students, right? Like face to face and those small little interactions, you know like uh, a joke here and there or a fist bump or whatever it is. Like there's mm-hmm. ways um, that students make our lives as teachers so much more rewarding, but um, not having that for a year and a half definitely sped up the burnout process. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, I decided to just go on a whim and um, apply to a whole bunch of different parks. And I remember in February last year, I told my admin, Hey, just FYI, I'm applying to the MPS and um, if I get into my top five parts, I'm just going to go for it. And yeah. And then a week later, Yosemite reached out with a interview request. And then a week after that, I had a job offer. Oh, wow. Yosemite was my top choice. So yeah, yeah. 
I, I guess I'm going to be a park ranger. So I actually had to leave my, my teaching job like six weeks early. I had uh-huh. to do a lot of different sub plans and pretty much getting my team ready too. So what, what is the process like when you want to apply to, to join the park service? Uh, how, how do you even find these jobs? Yeah. Um, so usajobs.gov will have pretty much all the jobs right, that you're looking for. Um, so you pretty much would just put search and then you put what kind of job you want to work for. Mm. So for example, for me, I would put um, park ranger interpretation. Mm-hmm. I'll about that later, but you put that in the search bar and then you can filter it for the different agency, in which case the National Park Service. And then a lot of stuff will happen. Um, and sorry, a lot of applications will pop up and then you can decide which one you want to uh, apply for. And so each park does their own hiring. Like you said, Yosemite called you. So someone over there is in HR and they call you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's actually like quite, a, I don't know what's the word for it. It's a really, really big operation. Like I don't yeah. to think about the process of HR. Um, so it <laughs> some of the really, really big parks like Grand Canyon, like Yosemite or Zion um, or even Sequoia will have their own application. Mm-hmm. You apply separately to those. And then you also have regional applications that have pretty much all the parks in whatever region you're in. So, for example, there's the Southwest one. So, Southwest has Grand Canyon, Zion, um, Bryce, uh, Sohuaro, Organ Pipe, all those things. And you have your West Coast. So, you have, you know, Yosemite and Joshua Tree and Muir Woods and all those different ones. Alaska has their own region as well. So, it really depends. I think I submitted like a... at least 25 applications oh, okay. um, in November of 2021. So you just okay. kind of apply for everything and hope you get something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, before we get into the actual job, you mind taking a little national park quiz as a teacher? You, you know, we like to give quizzes. Yeah, I will try my best. <laughs> all right. Let's do it. Um, all right. So can you guess what or do you know with the most massive single mountain on earth located in a national park is. Oh. Now you have to think, no, this is, okay, here's a little trick question. A lot of it is underwater. Oh, is it one of our volcanoes then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mauna Loa is, if you, if you added up the total volume of it, it would be taller than Everest. Oh. Um, but part of it's underwater. So it's not as, the, uh, the peak is not as tall. Mm-hmm. But the actual volume is some 20,000 cubic miles cool. of, of mountain. All right. So that's uh, uh, on Hawaii, on the National Park. Is that the name of the National Park, Mauna Loa? I think so, yeah. Yeah, okay. Very exciting time over there, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, getting lots of activity out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind seeing it. Maybe not in its full glory, but I wouldn't mind going out there and seeing the little lava bubbling up here and there. Oh, I wouldn't either. That'd be cool, though. All right. Uh, this is this one, I'm pretty sure you know. What is the most visited national park in America? Oh. Not including recreation areas. Yeah. It's, it's that, um, it's like Smoky Mountains. Yeah. Or, yeah. Got, you got it. Great Smoky Mountains, uh, 14.1 million visitors a year. I should give a fun fact about that real quick. Sure. They count anyone who goes on their parkway. Oh. <laughs> it's, so all the cars... <laughs> 
that's why it's so much compared to everyone else. Mm. Smoky Mountains, but I'm just saying. Yeah. A little padded. <laughs> Don't hate the player, hate the game, right? <laughs> All right, then number two, Zion. Number three, Yosemite. I mean, no, number three, Yellowstone. Yeah. I think so. Grand Yosemite are in top 10 visitations. But. Yeah, I'm sh- yeah, I'm pretty sure. And our very own, if you include national recreation areas, our very own San Francisco GGNRA, way up mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, again, if you count all the cars. <laughs> that's gonna... So many people in Alcatraz Island. Like, yeah. it's wild. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> see, I can see I can see Alcatraz from my classroom window. So, I, I've always oh. thought to myself, maybe I should work out there in the summer, you know, do little tours and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Definitely look into volunteering. They're always looking for volunteers. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, can you guess... All right. Of all the years, can you guess which year had the most visitors to all national parks? 2016. Yeah, you knew that? <laughs> it's our centennial of the NPS service, so national oh, park. Oh, so they really pumped it out. They really got people out. Yeah, yeah. Which was like kind of sad because like so many people came there and then like three years later, pandemic hit and then visitation just, I mean, because the parks were closed. Yeah. Um, we're still trying to get back to those numbers. It's coming back up though, right? Have you mm-hmm. noticed a, a bump? Yeah. It has. It has. And um, I don't know if you think Instagram has had an effect on this too, because you see some amazing pictures, Zion, you know. And- yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like for better or worse, right? Um, right? Definitely a lot of more visitation because of Instagram, but also a lot more um, just people not treating our parks, right? Um, Getting off trail, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which was and just trying to get that one perfect picture you know um i'm on the grand canyon itself like i'm always like oh my gosh stay off the edge because they're you know getting really really close for that really great picture i'm always like no don't do it yeah. uh, oh but no i know for cyan definitely had have had so much visitation because of i want to say social media for sure just because yeah it's a really really beautiful place yeah, yeah, it's it's you know, there's always pros and cons to everything. But uh I'm sure I'm sure some people have never heard of some of these places and they see it on Instagram and they say, Hey, we gotta go there. Uh, uh. Yeah. Like honestly I had never really heard of Banff before up in mm-hmm. Canada. But now it's like it seems like every other person is going to Banff, you yeah. know. Well there actually went there, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's so <laughs> beautiful though, yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was I was just in Arizona over winter break, and we were in Phoenix, so we ended up going to Sedona. Nice. And yeah, like you said, though, you can watch YouTubes and like how to get to this secret arch, you know, and it's off trail and it's a little sketchy. But yeah, there's all there's a lot of information out there about parks that maybe there didn't used to be even ten years ago. You know, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Uh. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the job. So there are different titles for rangers. Some are permanent and you are an interpretive ranger. Yeah. Um, so I am right now technically in Grand Canyon. I'm an education technician. Okay. <laughs> um, I know it sounds so formal and I'm just like, can we just be an educator? And then in Yosemite, I was in, in park ranger parentheses interpretive. So interpretive park ranger. And for me, you can actually add the language part too. You can be like, interpretive park ranger language so my biggest mission or 
job or duty is really to educate people about the park. I like to say that interpretation is talking to the general public. So everyone from ages one to 100 plus, right? Um, education, we mostly just interact with K through 12, specifically our fourth and fifth graders. Um, but pretty much the same idea of just, hey, we're here to educate people about the resource and then so that they have this connection to it and that they can better protect and preserve it. Yeah. So still a teacher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about the ranger, like the different titles and the different jobs, too. Yeah. So I think that's a misconception usually. So there are so many different types of rangers, so many different types of jobs within the National Park Service. Um, so I'm just one very, very small like job, right, in that grander scheme of things. So for example, there's also a uh, law enforcement ranger, which most people usually think of when they think of ranger. Um, so that's a law enforcement. They do all the law enforcement things. And then you have your maintenance. So they take care of like the bathrooms, um, all the trash. They make sure everything looks great. And then they're awesome. And we wouldn't be able to function without them. You have your fees rangers who are the ones that are um, at the front, at the entrances and they're collecting fees and they're also helping with the campground and stuff and whatnot. And then you have your backcountry rangers who are the ones patrolling the backcountry, making sure people are okay, making sure people are doing leave no trace and that they have permit and so forth. You have your trails rangers who are making all the trails in the park and maintaining them. So for example, if there it was a rock fall or a tree falling on the trail or whatever it is, they're the ones who hike out all the way in the backcountry and fix those trails. Mm -hmm. So there's just so many different types. And then, of course, on the technical side, you have like your biologists, your geologists, your archaeologists, all your ologies. Uh -huh. um, you have your social media person, yeah. you call your visual information specialist. So, <laughs> um, so there's just like so many different roles within the MPS and people don't usually know about that. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just not one like person that can do all these different things. For, so for you, what, what, what do you consider the best parts of your job? I love interacting with the public in general. Um, no, like definitely in Yosemite, it was definitely as a Cantonese person, like speaking to Cantonese people in Cantonese about the Cantonese history in Yosemite. Like that is just really, really awesome to see their eyes light up and they're just like, wait, what? Yeah. Like history here that's like about like me and my culture and my people. And it's just like, yeah. They built the roads here. Um, and it's just really cool to see that excitement. And then especially talking to them in the language that the immigrants like talked in themselves. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. We just talked to um, some folks over at Save Cantonese. They're an organization trying to save Cantonese language programs. And oh, cool. I see their posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we mentioned uh, that... Basically, Stanford, the person, built his fortune on Chinese labor, and and Stanford University was literally built by by Chinese labor, and so they Chinese labor in California went all the way out to the Sierra Nevadas, and so uh, can you talk a little bit more about Asian American contribution to Yosemite? Yeah, um, I think the biggest one I want to talk about is the roads. Yeah, all the roads in Yosemite were possible because of Chinese workers. Um, so when Yosemite was first kind of, um, I'm going to use this in quotations, discovered, because they weren't discovered, there were people there sure. living already by settlers and Westerners anyways. Um, they really wanted to make it a place where people can go and visit. And of course, um, 
have hotels and all the touristy things possible. Um, in order for that to happen, there needs to be roads. So most of the main roads, if not almost all of the roads in Yosemite are made by Chinese American workers. So Wawona Road, which is the one um, from the south, so from Oakhurst and then all the way up to the valley, that one is created by Chinese folks. Um, the one Big O Flag Road, which is going from the west also, and Tioga Road, which I think is the most impressive road. Um, that is a the highest road we have in Sierra Nevadas. This is around, what, mm, 8,000, 7,000 feet in elevation. Uh-huh. Um, and this is a 52, don't quote me on this, I'm sure it's 52 miles, 52 miles road in the Sierra Nevadas. And they made most of that road in like, I think fall and winter. Uh-huh. So it's just kind of wild. And they made that in, it was six months, oh, wow. six months. Yeah, like a, I don't think a continuous six months, but six months. And again, this wasn't when there was technology or anything. So they're doing, you know, six pickaxes and shovels and, you know, maybe a little bit of blasting powder, but that was it. And they made those roads and we wouldn't be able to access Yosemite in the way that we're able to today if it weren't for those workers. So that's definitely a big one. Um, and the other one would be their cooks and they're also working for the Wawona Hotel. So me as a ranger of that district, that was really cool to talk about. So Wona Hotel is our historic hotel of the districts. And most of the chefs there, um, the head chef there, um, Chef Ayu um, and Alui were all Chinese. And yeah, just kind of cool that you have these really important people, including presidents and politicians and everything. And they'll go to Wawona and you're you're getting served by like Chinese chefs, which is really cool. They're also helping with the laundry of that place. Um, they're also the gardeners. Um, and they had their own like huge garden of all the different produce that we use in the hotel too. Mm. So is this the is this like late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds? What are years are we talking? Yeah. Like after the uh, railroad or around the same time? Hundreds, um, early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And eighteen eighty six, those are the other numbers I know. Yeah. Yeah. And all mostly dudes, <laughs> not a lot of women. Yeah. So, so anyone out there who has roots, you know, all you fifth generation Chinese Americans like myself, you know, we have roots going back to the 1800s. Uh, know that some of your relatives might have been working on Yosemite next time you're there. It's a really cool fact. Uh, yeah. I just want to shout out my fellow ranger, Ranger Yan Yan Chan. Mm-hmm. She did research for this for like the last decade and then some so definitely props to her for like bringing all this information like you know out in the open and yeah she's incredible definitely look her up too she has a lot of really cool interviews as she talk about all these things yeah yeah i just heard, heard an interview with her she's amazing yeah yeah all right so we're gonna go into a segment we haven't done this segment in a while but it's called Asians being awesome. where we talk about awesome asian americans and we're going to talk about Tai Sing. Um, the spelling of it is sometimes T-I-E Sing, or sometimes it's T-Y Sing. But I didn't know this, that he was actually really Asian American. He was an American-born Chinese. Mm-hmm. So he was born here. And what was his role? Yeah, he was a chef that really contributed to the success of the Matter Party, which in turn established or helped lead to the establishment of um, the National Park Service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's incredible. Uh, I think you have his book 
Link. Um, yeah. Um, what's his name? Albright. One of the guys on that trip. And it's a really amazing account. Have you read part of that? Yeah, I've seen quotes from that one. Yeah. And there is actually a book that you can read. Uh, it's called Mountain Chef. Oh. Uh, I'm completely blanking on the author's name right now. I'm sorry. Well, I'll post it in the notes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, but children's book about Tai Seng. And yeah, he's he's pretty awesome. And so he was actually a backcountry service for the USGS, so US Geological Services, for a while already before he was asked to be on the Matter Party. And those folks, the USGS, like loved him. Like he was <laughs> such an awesome guy. He can make biscuits and steak and venison and apple pie in the backcountry. And I'm not sure if you've been uh, backcountry before or back, back. <laughs> but it's really hard to have good food while you're out there. Yeah. Um, but he made it work and he was so incredible. They, they actually named a peak after him. I'm sorry, I'm sure you saw that. Um, and there is a Sing Peak um, in Yosemite. And that was named because of his contributions um, and why and they loved him so much as one of the cooks in the backcountry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a really great quote um, about his contribution is like, it doesn't matter how beautiful I'm paraphrasing right now. It doesn't matter how beautiful your views are or how beautiful your gorgeous, your sunsets are. If you're hungry and you're angry, like it doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, he like just some of the firsthand tales of him. He would make fresh sourdough every morning and he would use like this starter from San Francisco. And he uh -huh. would, he would, so it's cold. We're in like winter and fall. And he would get the dough to rise by putting it next to his mule. <laughs> he would have the, the mule's yeah. body warmth rising the dough. And he would carry a portable stove with him and an oven uh -huh. so he can do this. And, ah. Uh. On that trip itself, there were so many things that happened that, like, he had to kind of just be really flexible about. Um, like, one of his donkeys that had, like, all the best foods that he was going to do all the gourmet stuff with, like, fell off the mountain. Donkey was fine, by the way. Um, but all the animals and supplies got lost. Um, and then, like, there's just so many different things on that trail where he was, like, um, had to pretty much, like, change it up a little bit. And he was still awesome. <laughs> But yeah, to get to get a mountain named after or a peak named after you back in the 1920s, as an Asian American, that was unheard of, right? There's nothing named, you know, they weren't even yeah. invited to the, the railroad celebration, right? So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty incredible life. Um, so they must have really liked him. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely check out Mountain Chef. Okay, definitely mm -hmm. will. I heard it's pretty hard to get to Sing Peak. It's kind of on the, the outskirts right on the border, right? Half yeah, I haven't been myself. Um, so Yen Yen, Ranger Yen Yen, actually leads a pilgrimage there every year. That's working with the Chinese Historical Society of Southern California. Okay. And yeah, they do a backpacking trip out there every year. And I hope to go there on it this year. We'll see. Um, but it's pretty awesome from what I hear. And it's just a lot of um, Asian Americans, of course, but also just supporters of Asian Americans. And they're um, folks who are interested in that history. And they'll go on this trip. And yeah. It's pretty cool. And yeah, it's really remote. So uh, I think you definitely have to do some, um, what's the word for it? Going off trail and bushwhacking a little bit. Okay. You know? <laughs> so not for everyone, but uh, look it up. If you're wanting to do the Tai Sing Peak Pilgrimage, you think it's called something like that? Yeah, it'll be the Sing Peak Pilgrimage. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And then you wanted to mention uh, Chira Obata as well. I don't know anything about him. So what do you know about him? Yeah, I'd love to talk about him. He is a Japanese-American artist who, who was actually friends with Anzo Adams. 
Um, I think everyone always knows Ansel Adams, but they didn't have friends. True Obata. Uh, Obata is was a watercolor, um, mostly known for his watercolor paintings. And he did mostly paintings of the high country, so Ptolemy Meadows area. And they're just really bright, vivid colors that he does. And just adding his um, Japanese background in um, ink, Zasumi painting with the landscape, right? So that was just like a really fresh way of looking at the Sierras. Because at that time, most of the paintings and depictions of nature is very like, you know, oil painting, classic old school, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, like, yeah like kind of um type of realism so just for i hope you get to see some of his paintings they're just really evoking and there's a lot of uh motion that he conveys with them and it's just really beautiful and uh yeah we actually have an obata art weekend so we also have a weekend that we use to celebrate him and his work um this is in august that we're going to have for this one and it's just really cool just to celebrate one of his, another Asian American in the park. I also want to mention his wife, um, Haruko Obata, who was one of the first instructors of Eikabana in, I want to say the United States, um, definitely in San Francisco. Eikabana is the art of floral arrangement. Mm-hmm. And so she also, really cool things um, with that. And she also had exhibits in Yosemite Valley. So, it's kind of cool because the, the pair, Haruko, will have uh, her flower arrangements of um, Ikebana and then around um, Obata's work. So it's pretty awesome. Um, Obata and Haruko were actually interned as wow. well. Um, they're Japanese. Um, so they, and the fun thing, not the fun, but the very terrible thing is that like, they were, Obata was, Trua, 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 Obata was actually a professor at Berkeley. He was an art professor. And, you know, doesn't matter, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, he was interned. And, um, yeah, and, and just to see his work um, before and after internment, or even during internment, it's like, oof. Yeah. And he also still led and taught art classes while he was interned. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite drawings of him is actually of a sequoia. Sequoias are really important to me because I talk about them a lot and he just has one of them and just talking about how sequoias are an inspiration to him. And the drawing is like a mostly just a sepia or sepia and it's just brown and black. And it's just this sequoia just weathering this huge windstorm mm. and reflects on how when he's thinking about how life has been like really terrible and really hard he looks to these trees, right, who has been here for thousands and thousands of years and think, hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. And just to keep going. So, yeah, yeah definitely look up his paintings um, and look up Haruko Obata. Like, unfortunately, her work is, you can't see her work because they're, they're flowers, but Obata will actually draw her work and have like different things. So I think they're pretty cool powerhouse. So their um, granddaughter um, actually comes to uh, the Obata Art Weekend and talk about them as well. So. Nice. It's pretty cool. And what, what week was that again, typically? Somewhere around? In August, I actually have the date. I believe it's August 27th this year. All right. All right. So, yeah, definitely it's not all good and happy memories from these Asian Americans in the park, but their legacies are there. There's a highway naf- named after Obata, which is very cool, and the, a peak named after Singh. So there's little memories here and there, some of them good, some of them bad, but um, but the history is there. And so definitely get out to your national parks. 
switching gears a little bit, um, speaking of Asian Americans, have you noticed an increase in Asian American visitors to the parks? I, I don't know. Just looking at Instagram, it seems like a lot of millennials are getting out to the parks. Yeah, I can't say what the actual statistics say, um, but I want to say yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think especially in Southern California, in California itself. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, I am not sure about the rest of the country. Right, say. right. <laughs> uh, but no, we actually have a lot of international visitors to parks. So, um, and a lot of them are from Asian countries, which is kind of really awesome. Yeah. So. Yeah, very cool. All right. Uh, let's just talk a little bit about you and your and ask you some questions. Um, do you have a favorite park? Favorite park? Uh, yeah. So, so Yosemite will definitely be one. Um, Yosemite is definitely on my list because of the history it has. Um, because I remember visiting it as a child, and it's also my first park that I got to work at. Yeah. So, yeah, it's definitely holds a special place in my heart right now for sure. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Redwoods, Redwoods National Park or Mere Woods even, but Redwoods National Park, it's also gorgeous. And I think I just really like big trees. Um, sequoias are awesome and also the Redwoods as well. Yeah, so Yeah. How about a bucket list park? You have a couple, I'm sure you have several, but what's, what's one on the top of the bucket list? Oh, ah, it's going to be probably Gate of the Arctic. Oh, you ever heard of that? No. It's in Alaska. Way up there. <laughs> Uh, it's in literally in the middle of nowhere. You can only get to it by plane. Oh, okay. You have to actually fly into Fairbanks first. And then from there, which is already a small plane and then take another small <laughs> plane. There is absolutely no infrastructure there that I know of anyways. So it's literally just wilderness. Um, it's a very, very ambitious, um, bucket listing. I don't know when I ever get to do it because you really need a lot of good skills yeah. in order to be out there. Literally with no infrastructure. So can't wing it. You have to be, <laughs> yeah, you have to be very self sufficient. Yeah. Right. Um, of course, you're in Alaska. So you're thinking about really, really, really big grizzly bears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. I think most of the Alaska parks are definitely on my bucket list. I've been to Alaska, but didn't really get to explore the parks. But um, I think Katmai would be really cool too. That's the one of all the bears. Mm -hmm. If you have the fat bear week. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. You get on your favorite fat bears and it's awesome because they're just pretty much gaining weight right um, themselves. <laughs> yeah and it is awesome because they have cat my actually has a uh what's it called like a little deck that you stand on and you just watch all these grizzlies just giant bears um just eating on salmon and you just see the fish you now they're they're going up the river and you just see these bears just completely gorgeous it's okay. <laughs> i really love to Oh. Yeah, yeah. I saw that you went to Manzanar. Would would you recommend making that trip? It's kind of kind of sad, but it, it's important, yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate Manzanar. Um yeah, it's definitely a very what's the word for it? It makes you definitely reflect on our country. Mm -hmm. Um and how yeah, it, it's like we shouldn't be surprised sometimes, right, by what they've done. Um, like even now, like with the anti-Asian stuff happening during COVID and people were like, why this has never happened before. I'm like, no, it has, it has, yeah. <laughs> it's part of our history. And, um, it's important to acknowledge that history. Um, no man's in art and they've been adding more exhibits. There is an exhibit there that's pretty much like their bathroom or how do I pronounce the word? Latrines? Latrine, yeah. <laughs> and it's just pretty much like, hey, this is the latrines for all the women. And then you can just see that there's just no space, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and then you can be in one of the bunkhouses and you're just like, yeah, I just can't imagine just telling, being told one day, like, hey, pack whatever you can in one your one suit, suitcase and go for it. I mean, and that's, and that's what happened to Obata and his family. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, anything, anyone from bankers to professors to farmers, you know, just had to leave everything. Shops, mm-hmm. you know, you might have had a thriving retail business and you just had to leave it. So not a shining star in American history, but something that we shouldn't forget. You know, we shouldn't yeah, gloss over. Yeah, definitely old for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'll throw a few local ones out there from California. So we have the Locke Historical District, which is a funky little place. And it, it's it's going through some changes, but uh, uh, it was a first, it was kind of like when people kind of got out of San Francisco and got out of the railroads and the gold mines. They kind of all congregated in this one little town called Locke. And it was kind of like a, a Chinese town in the middle of the foothills. So it's kind of a funky little place. I just heard about that like this week. Yeah. I was like, oh, go check that out. It's by Sacramento, right? Like an hour or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere in in a way. But uh, yeah, so there's still some folks that live there, some some Chinese American, like, you know, fourth, fifth generation Chinese Americans who live there. And uh, so not a ton to see, but definitely some history there. And then some California state parks, Angel Island, of course, inside of San Francisco Bay uh, has a, I don't want to say brand new, but, but pretty new uh, visitor center that they remodeled. And you can see a lot of the history there. If you don't know, uh, Angel Island was kind of like the Ellis Island of the West. And so most of the Chinese immigrants for the first hundred years or so came through there. And then China Camp in San Rafael, they did shrimp fishing. It's a shrimp fishing village that the Chinese set up there on the San Francisco Bay to dry some shrimp and send it back home. So there's a lot of there's a lot more than I'm mentioning here, but if you're interested in Chinese or Asian American history, there's definitely a lot in California. All right, are you ready for the lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. You know, we're we're getting pounded by rain right now, which is kind of a bummer, but I'm imagining that the spring waterfalls are going to be amazing this year. Oh, it's going to be incredible. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite waterfall in Yosemite? Uh, probably the one in my district, Chunuana Falls. Um, it is a a hike to get up there four miles. Um, so eight miles round trip. But once you get up there and you go a little bit further up to the second set of falls, it is really, really beautiful. Is that one of those really tall ones or kind of a, uh, not really. (laughs) It's just the look of it. Yeah. It's the look of it. It's secluded. Um, you can actually swim the little lake there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really love it there. Um, I think more. I've probably been to more lakes and waterfalls in Yosemite. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be epic this year. <laughs> There's so much snow Probably up there. Upper and lower Yosemite Falls are going to be incredible. Raging, yeah. If you can get there, uh, if you can get there, it's going to be crowded. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. My favorite spot in Yosemite will probably be the Mariposa Grove. Uh-huh. Again, I'm. By- working the district district but yeah if you're ever in yosemite and you find yourself in wawona and you go to the mariposa grove most people just only walk the first like mile or two maybe to the grizzly giant um but then if you go into the upper grove where wawona point is um first of all there's no one around there and two it's just surrounded by sequoias and Mm. they're pretty so sometimes just go that extra mile or two and you'll lose the crowd a little bit (laughs) yeah yeah, exactly. Awesome. Good advice. 
Uh, I was just wondering, are there any special perks of working for the Department of the Interior that that you don't have to give the the secret one, but is there something? Uh, can you get out of parking tickets, or what, what, what do you get by working for the DOI? Yeah. Um. Man, we don't get that many perks. I think the biggest one is living in the park. Mm-hmm. Like, I can just walk outside. I, I'm a I'm a 20 minute walk from the rim. I'm a five minute drive, and it's so cool that you can do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely one of the coolest part of it for sure. Um, yeah, I think another perk is just like representing like. Hey, you're here to protect the parks. So that's very corny, but yeah. And I think I think volunteers. You can if you do a certain amount of hours, you can get a park pass for life, stuff like that. I'm not sure about park pass for life. That would be great. Or, or may, maybe maybe it's like a discounted park pass for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And you get so many, so many appreciation from the staff. We won't really exist without volunteers. Yeah. yeah. All right. Do you have a favorite book? Movie, podcast, blog, YouTube channel related to national parks. Is there is there something that you've read that really inspired you? Yeah, I was just listening to this podcast the other day um, that was pretty cool about parks. And it's called Mesa Verde Voices. Hmm. The one that's about the Mesa Verde National Park. And it's pretty much about the ancestral Pueblo people of that region. And I just listened to it the other day because I was... I'm a star dork, and there was an episode about stars, uh, but from the perspective of the Diné or the Navajo people. So it was just really cool hearing. I think I forgot who the person, what tribe they were from. I think they were from what nation they were from. I think they were Hopi. Um, but just hearing different people talk about their star stories. So that was really cool. Okay. And that's uh, Mesa Verde Voices. Very cool one um there was another one i think look up any podcast by shelton johnson Hmm. shelton johnson is a um, african-american ranger and he's doing most of his work and education about um, the buffalo soldiers Uh so these were soldiers who were um they're black and they were some of the first park rangers um in all our national parks so I think definitely look up podcast that he has been in. He's usually a host, uh, sorry, a guest. And that's been really cool too. Mm. All right. And uh, we like to end each episode by asking our guests to name an infatuation. An infatuation is anyone in the Asian community, living or deceased, that has inspired you. Could be someone you know or someone you admire from afar. Connie Lau, do you have an infatuation? Oh. Uh, yeah, I just have to go with my mom. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like uh, just coming here, you know, as a teenager and, you know, being a refugee and having to get used to this whole new country and a new language. And yeah, I, yeah, between her, my grandma too. My grandma came here with like uh, her, my grandpa had already passed. And so it was just her coming with like, all of my uncles, mm-hmm. we have, I don't lose count of how many I have, but um, all my uncles and aunts and just being here by herself and still figuring that out. And I don't know, it's just like, there's this thing about uh, Asian parents just having this like quiet strength to them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, they're not the ones to like brag about or talk about 
what they have endured and all that stuff. It's just kind of like, yep, this is what happened. This is what I'm doing. And I don't need to talk about it. But yeah, that was part of my life. And they're just so, yeah, so incredible like that. Yeah, no, you know, it's it's not necessarily an uncommon story, but it doesn't make, mean that it was easy. <laughs> it's, a lot of people went yeah. through it, but it was hard. Yeah, there's a, I do a program um, about the Chinese uh, contributions to Yosemite. And one of the things I do always is just talk about how hard English is mm-hmm. as a language. And I think we always take for granted that our immigrants come here and, and they learn this language that's actually pretty difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even that thing, something that's as simple as that, or we think as simple as that, it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a funny, I don't, I don't know if you've ever watched YouTube where there's like a guy and he might be like a white guy living in Hong Kong or or a white guy living somewhere and he speaks a little Mandarin, right? And everyone's like, oh, wow, you speak Mandarin so well. Or you speak, I can't believe you speak Chinese. But then someone was saying, you know who else can do that is all my Chinese grandmas and all the Chinese aunties. You know, they, they learn language too, but somehow it's more exciting when someone who's Caucasian goes to China and speaks a little Mandarin versus a Chinese immigrant speaking a little English, you know? Yeah, no, that, and that's definitely across the board for all of our immigrants and it's just like so frustrating where I'm like, okay, cool. Like how many of us are bilingual or trilingual? Yeah. And like, you know, it's all right. That's expected of you. Right. right. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that does it for our episode with Ranger Connie. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Yeah. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Super fun. I learned a lot. So uh, do you have any social media that we should uh, mention here? I, I know there's, at National Park Service Instagram. Yeah, I do have one that's kind of my like park ranger slash teacher one. Um, that's the clousroom.outdoors. So my name is Connie Laos or Clousroom. Get it? Classroom, uh-huh. Clousroom. Got it. Got it. <laughs> we'll put that on the show notes. Everyone can follow that. Um, if you want to go to the National Park Service website, you'll see lots of good things over there. And there's the America the Beautiful Pass is only 80 bucks. So <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty good deal. So everyone mm-hmm. go over there, check out different deals. Uh, if you're a senior citizen, it's even cheaper. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're a veteran, also. Veteran, yeah. All right. So um, everyone take a look at those. Find out more about your national parks. Uh, you can follow us at The Infatuation Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Or, of course, you can email us at infatuationpodcast at gmail.com. So, Connie, thanks again for coming along. And uh, best of luck. Are you going back to Yosemite? That's the plan? I am. I actually just got the offer last week. Oh, wow. Okay. So, everyone out there, if you're in Yosemite this summer or starting April, is that when you start? Mid-April, yep. All right. So, if you're going to Yosemite this spring or summer or early fall, Look for a ranger where you're around Mariposa Meadows or where are you going to be walking around? Yeah, Wawona District. So, yeah, the Southern District of Yosemite. So, Mariposa Grove and the Yosemite History Center in the Wawona area. Okay. So, if you see a Chinese Chinese American ranger out there, say, are you Ranger Connie from the Infatuation Podcast? All right. So everyone go visit your national parks. And, you know, on the way there, you can listen to a podcast or two. (laughs) So thank you all so much for listening to us. And on behalf of Connie, myself, we hope that you're all happy, healthy, and safe out there. Gong hei fa choi. 
And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you. Take care.